Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast about people who on the surface appear to be totally ordinary. Underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. Sherry Denton teaches art and students love her class. In her life, she's worked as an entrepreneur. She's done the marketing for a tooling company and she's worked in architecture and interior design. In fact, right now, she teaches that class, Introduction to Architecture and Interior Design, as well as Intro to Painting and Intro to Drawing. Sherry brings a lot to her students, including her life as a world traveler. She's been to at least a dozen European countries, maybe three dozen American states, and once she took a drive around the entire Gulf of Mexico from Southeast Florida to Costa Rica. Her hobbies are gardening, reading, camping, and kayaking. Today we're going to discuss how her life led her to art, the art of her life, and how art can specifically enrich every person's life. Hi, Sherry. Well, hi, Tim. You're a great teacher, and you make a huge impact on teenagers. Could you tell me your secret origin story? Just what kind of a kid were you? I was a middle child. <laughs> um, when I think of secret origin, it, my mind goes right to what my mom told me about two years after my dad passed away. I was 20. And she said, Sherry, you are a real love child. You were conceived on our anniversary. So I would say that's a pretty, you can't get more original than that. It's <laughs> right from the moment. <laughs> I don't like conflict. I like things to be even Stephen, but man, I can get in there and fight too. Okay. Um, I was a fun, I think I was a fun kid. I enjoyed my childhood. I feel like I had a real idyllic childhood. Okay, so you're also very spontaneous. Spontaneous, I love adventure, um, and I do like to be creative, and uh exploring, you know, ooh, let's go here. If there was a no trespassing sign, it really kind of meant, well, that's if you're going to be destructive. You know, we'll leave if they shoo us out, but let's go see what's in there. Okay. So the <laughs> sign that says no trespassing, that's just a test to see how sincere you are. No, it was just a guideline. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's to see if you can be easily deterred. I guess so, yes. Gotcha. Okay, so high school, what type of a high schooler were you? Same. <laughs> um, however, I, I really got involved. I kind of broke out into my own. I had been underneath my sister's wings for, you know, all of, of uh, my life. And she was a senior when I was a freshman. Um, you know, my real name is Sharon, and she said that's just not cool to have that name. So her and her friend came up with what to call me and how to spell it. So I had a little bit of identity crisis there for a little while, but I thought, okay, all right. But come my sophomore year, I really did bloom, um, and and I got into leadership at school. And so by the time I was a senior, I was the senior class president and involved in all kinds of stuff at school and loved it. They rebranded you. Yes, they rebranded me. And it changed your personality. <laughs> no, I, I pretty much was kind was the same. I just didn't have the the guts. I always wanted to. It was without that overhead supervision and commentary that I felt like I could blossom. Blossom. Wow. Right. Okay, well that's really cool. It just reminds me of a book that I haven't read by I think Todd Herman 
called Alter Egos and just his philosophy is this well just pretend to be somebody else mm. and you pretend to be somebody else that eventually you'll become that person which I should probably read the book it sounds intriguing um, but it just seems like they rebranded you and they left home and then you just turned into this leader I, I guess so yeah but I you know I was a follower too okay <laughs> still okay. Okay. yeah so then college comes around, and I, I feel like college changes everybody. How did college change you? What was college for you? Oh, I finally matured, I think. Um, but it took me a long while. <clears throat> I was uh, in college for five and a half years on, instead of the four-year program. You quintuple major. <clears throat> or was it six and a half years? I think it was six and a half years, actually. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I like to not even admit that. Um, yeah, because I had uh, too much fun in the very, very beginning years. But um, at the end, I was raring to go for adulthood, and it just took me a while to get there. And God bless my mom and her patience. Okay. Well, you know, they say these days, I've seen the stats, that something like one out of two people who start college are simply never going to finish it in their lifetime. And you finished it, so I'm pretty impressed with that. And then my mentor, when I was a college student was uh, a PhD in English literature and this, this lady was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, she had taken 12 years to get her undergraduate degree because she was working full time so she could only take maybe just a class or two at a time and, and uh, you know at the end of the day after the end of those 12 years you have a degree. You have a degree. Yeah. So you could be in her case I guess 30 without a degree or you could be 30 with a degree. And if getting a degree is important to you, well, you have a degree. Great, so, that's right. So congratulations. Yeah. I used to have nightmares even after I graduated. Like, did I really do it? Did I turn in that project? Did I get that done? Did I, did I get it? And it's like I'd wake up and go look at my certificate, my diploma, uh -huh. and uh, say, yes. <laughs> you keep that posted well, on the it. ceiling above your bed so that if you wake up and think, oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank God, I did do it. <laughs> I can relax. Yes. Okay. Okay. So then you got into your career. Can you talk just a little bit about from college to teaching? Just oh, the various wow. permutations okay. and reinventions. Okay. So from college, um, I drove across the country and went, uh, ended up in California and in a beautiful, beautiful area and started working in my career, which was interior design. And Total Fluke worked with um, an incredible uh, woman who had a lot of history to her. She was an elderly woman. She was going towards retirement and she just needed somebody to help her in the office. And it was a very difficult time to get a job at that particular time. There was, as, you know, downturn in the economy and people were not expanding and growing it was everything was shrinking down so I felt very lucky and I was like an apprentice and you know followed her up to San Francisco or we drive up there together and um I was you know the like I said the apprentice carrying all the bags and samples and stuff and just learning oodles and oodles from her and really enjoying it and she embraced me in the um, into 
into her life and have me start going to some of the functions that she would have normally gone to and she was tired of going to them. So I got to go into some beautiful homes and meet some incredible people. Um, like I got to meet Ansel Adams. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And Hank Mitchum of Dennis the Menace. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, I, I got to have really, truly incredible experiences working How are those there. gentlemen like in person? Ansel Adams and Hank Mitchell? Very nice. Okay. Very, 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 if you didn't recognize them, you wouldn't have known that they, there was no entourage, there was no, you know, they were just normal people. I always felt like that'd be the perfect way to be famous. Uh, to be so famous that nobody knew who you were. You know, you could go to the grocery store. You could go anywhere. Um, and uh, somebody could be standing right next to you, and they would just think that you're just, you know, another citizen of yeah. the country. And just wouldn't that be great? Yeah. And so. so, like Ansel Adams, he still had, at that point in time, it was the Friends of Photography, and Weston, another very famous photographer of that era, um, really big in Carmel and Monterey area. And uh, the Friends of Photography was a group that you could join and learn about photography. And he still taught classes and just, you know, for normal people. It was really, really wonderful. Maybe to just have a little bit of normalcy in his life. Who yeah. really knows? That's just really cool. So after interior design, what comes next? So, um, after residential design, um, I went into commercial design. Uh, I did some uh, cool projects, um, like at Honeywell in Clearwater, Florida, and uh, that's where they built a lot of the gyroscope, and so got to learn about clean rooms and that kind of thing, mm. and see those. Um, then working in back in Los Angeles in California, I got to work um, in interior design for uh, Fred Heyman, who he was the Giorgio guy and the 273 fragrance and uh, redoing his offices. And that was really heady and fun stuff. Um, got to work at the uh, corporate headquarters at Avery Label and doing design work there. And uh, it was during that time in my life where I met my husband. And uh, we, he had a tooling company, and when we got married, we moved to Texas to expand his business, which we did. And um, that was my, as far as the entrepreneurship, that my dad was an entrepreneur, and uh, I was not fearful of taking those risks and expanding and so forth. So um, when I was in college, I took some marketing classes and wanted to minor, but I'm one class short of uh, getting that minor, which I wish I would have done. However, the information served me really, really well. And I did all the research for him of finding where new potential customers were and uh, helped map out and uh, you know, organize road trips. And we went on road trips uh, through the country between Texas to Florida, Texas up into a little bit towards the Northwest. And um, 
We ended up expanding the plants, the manufacturing plants and repair plants, um, from the one plant in California, which we kept, to Texas, and we grew it into Florida and Atlanta. So there were um, California, Texas, Atlanta, Florida, and then in Missouri, in Lee Summit. And, um, and that is the, the single one now. Um, all of the rest of them are closed up. We, we, he sold it, sold the business. But expanding that company was really fun. This just seems like a dream life to me. You're happily married. You're deeply in love. You're traveling all over the United States. Everywhere you go, people are probably happy to see you because you're going to bring beauty into their life, into their commercial businesses or maybe their residences. Well, it was all the, those... Um, that tooling company that's you know making metal molds for the plastic bottle industry. Oh, okay. So that's not that not the, not, the it, not the interior design part. Although to get the open up those plants, um, it was finding the building space and then having it built out and wired and getting the equipment and stuff. I did do all the design work for the manufacturing part. So that was designed for manufacturing plants, which is not a ton of beauty. It's a lot about function though. And- um, Was it fun? Oh, it was a blast. Mm -hmm. I love doing that. And I have a very, I do have a good spatial awareness of things. So. The space planning. It could I could walk into places and remember the layout of stuff and draw them up and see how we it could configure and so we could do things very timely. I, I that was a good asset for that business for me to do that. With these three different type of careers under your belts, essentially by the time you married, or it was two by the two, time I was married, and then, yeah. and then the third thing mm -hmm, getting started. Yes. Then, do you feel like you learned? more about your craft from working or from college working for sure okay yeah that college gave me a very good foundation um and it gave me the the spirit of you know always being a learner always and um perpetual students yes Yes. Student of life, student of everything. Yes, of everything. That's kind of how I feel. I've been in teaching my whole life, um, teaching college English, teaching high school math, social studies, business classes, and I, I guess I'd just like to be put back into that student's role. I guess Aristotle said humanity's greatest pleasure is to learn. I think maybe, I believe that. Yeah, I, I think Aristotle might just be right about that. I could be wrong, but I think that he could be right. Mm -hmm. um, but then I also kind of feel like it's good for me as a student to recognize that students sometimes are under a lot of pressure. Maybe they have four exams this week. Maybe they have a paper due. Maybe their grades really matter to them. Uh, or maybe just the subject matter really is important to them. And just they, they are short on time, short on sleep, and just under a lot of pressure. And so I, I just feel like if I'm also in that student role, maybe I can be just a little bit more sympathetic. So, but that's, gotcha. that's, I guess, a yeah. little bit of a side note. It seems to me like, gosh, you just must have been having a blast. Um, then what led to teaching? So, um, I was happily married, and then, and then things took a turn, and it was a pretty, pretty sharp turn, 
And, um, I, you know, when, when we moved to Kansas, uh, I, and I had twins, I became an at-home mom. Okay. And so I was, was that for all their young, younger years. And when life took a U-turn, I needed to go back to work. Okay. So um, in that interim, <laughs> it went from you know drafting and drawing on the boards and communicating design <clears throat> by hand to computers and you know AutoCAD and stuff. And so um, I did. I took some. I took a class, but without having the program at home to practice on, that's a very fleeting kind of informational. Thing mm. you know to do, you have to practice all the commands and to where it becomes natural and stuff to you. Um, I um, I did. I, I actually I took two classes, which I shouldn't have even progressed on to the second one because I wasn't that profession at the first one. But um, <clears throat> there was a firm in town that uh, needed some help pretty quick, like, and they hired me, and I did that work, and it was a lot of fun, and I was. I was good at that, but when that project ended, you know, came to conclusion, um, I, for what the firm needed, I was super slow. I would bring my kids up and work at night, mm. and which, what you know, you'd think that's not any good. It, it kind of, it was helpful to one of my children who they got then interested in the field. So um, that was good in that respect you know there's always two sides to a coin you know yeah. <laughs> so, yeah and usually there's silver lining something good can come out of you know difficulties so um it was a a a, a very amicable uh departure from okay. there okay um because I felt bad because I was I knew I was not serving them as well as they needed me to be serving them, and I didn't like that feeling at all. And it, they were very patient with me and wonderful about it, and said, "Well, when you do get this under your belt and you're really proficient yeah. in AutoCAD, please come back." Well, um, in the interim, that was at the beginning of of a summer, and by the end of that summer, and I took off I didn't didn't uh, work then uh, my sister in high school she's found an ad that said you should apply for this job it's part-time you would be perfect you're so good at it so that day I put together a resume and I put together a um, well that night I put together a portfolio I put together that resume I drove out to the school and knocked on the windows and the doors trying to find somebody to take this resume and lo and behold, the brand new principal at that school was there and took my resume. We chatted some and said, "Could he asked me if I could come back and bring some sample work. Okay. So I gathered up a portfolio of my children's work, of my work. And I, I brought my kids' work because while I was at that at-home mom, I volunteered a lot at my kids' school. And I got to help out in the art room because I naturally oh, yeah. have been in art. So I spent a lot of time with the teacher just helping out, like, a, like an aide, like a teacher's aide, right. just because I enjoyed it. 
And as a thank you to her, I had taken pictures of all of her work because part of my job was to organize her, her all of her sample work that you know through her years and stuff. So I did that, but I took pictures and I gave her a little library of, of her work for of photos, um, like like hard copy photos, <laughs> like in the okay. old days, yeah. and put it put them in an index uh, box and had it separated by grade level and um, gave it to her and when I I got duplicates and so I had a set too and um, my sister you know had told me about this job and so I went so I had that those photographs told them of my work history and helping out and so forth and they took a chance on me and hired me part-time. That's pretty amazing. I, I suppose if they were observant, they were probably thinking, well, this lady certainly knows her art. And if you look at these children's samples, she certainly can teach kids how to do art. And if you look at how she's organized everything, you can see that she's really good at organization, which you need in the teaching profession. Yes, you do. So they're probably thinking, oh, she's, she can teach art. Uh, she's good with kids. Uh, she's scheduled, she's organized, so let's let's take a chance on her. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So I've been very, very grateful to them for that. That's awesome. Well, I'd like to uh, ask just a little bit about art. Let's get to art. Art, to me, is one of those things that I just don't think people can live without. But I think it's also one of those things that some people don't really pay much attention to until it's not there. So I think if you talk to the average person on the street, maybe they would think, eh, art, you know, eh, what are you even talking about? I never go to an art museum or something like that. But the thing is, if you go to people's homes or their classrooms or their workplace or their garage, for that matter, <laughs> people are putting something up. You know, they're putting up paintings, they're putting up photographs, they have like little sculptures, uh, people are carving things out of wood. There's religious art. There's people who have pictures of athletes. People have dogs playing poker. Um, they have like little flower gardens that turn into art. Um, so I guess this is a two-part question. Do you think people may not realize how much they actually need and crave art? And, and do they that's... need and crave art? <clears throat> I think that they do. Even think of the millennial generation. Cave, I'm I'm thinking cave drawings, oh, cave okay. paintings. You know, there was a need, there was a desire to uh, leave a record of of what happened, life, and and what you see, and tell stories, and and that um, art it really does. And I'm I'm taking this from somebody else. It makes the invisible visible. Mm. And it does pass on imagery and stories um, within the object of art that, that you have. Um, I think there is a hu natural human tendency to create. Okay. It's part of what makes us human. And if we didn't create, we would feel less than human. I suppose. I, I guess... I don't know. I, I just, I think, okay, in the animal world, does the animal feel less of an animal because they don't create? Or would they feel more because they do create? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what I think about that statement. I have not thought about that. I, I can't remember you know? if I read something about 
gorillas or bonobos drawing things. I don't know if they do. Well, oh, there's the elephant that paints, you know, is. with it. Yeah, some elephant has painted. He would put a paintbrush wrapped, his trunk wrapped around a big, huge brush and done strokes on a canvas and they sell for God knows how much money. That's I seem to remember somebody telling me that the average gorilla can paint at the level of a two-year-old person. Okay. That if a two-year-old person... And you wonder, are they pleased with that? Do they show it? Like, look! (laughs) (laughs) Look what I did! (laughs) And then their their more serious friends say, stop monkeying around. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, worst joke ever. So, So what else attracts you to art? There's the act of creation. What else attracts you to art? Well, just the 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 beauty of of it. It could be buildings that can be beautiful. Um, the and inspiring. It kind of inspires, like a, a and it's it's a respite from whatever's going on in your life. Mm. It's like okay, I can go into there okay. in my mind and in my imagination. It like opens up um, your internal well-being it's a break from the stressors of the rest of life yes like maybe somebody has work stress or they have family stress or they have friend stress or they have money stress or something but then they can maybe just get lost in the painting for two minutes or lost in the song for four minutes and it's just a a respite as you say music is beautiful art and that can just change your mood altogether you can be in a bad mood but if you hear a song you like and it's a you know a fun song you can change your mood so quickly yeah it's like a drug or something so it is like having a nice cocktail yeah having that warm fuzzy feeling yeah it's just absolutely (laughs) crazy Um, what type of art are you personally drawn to, Sherry? I like so much of it. I do. I like landscape architecture and beautiful laid out land. Um, I do love architecture too, the built space around us. And, um, and I do like paintings uh, I think going to a museum is not just experiencing the contents of in that museum, but the museum itself mm. can help enhance the whole experience. Oftentimes the museum it is, is the work of art. Or is it, yes, yes. Um, and sculpture. Um, Sculpture kind of puzzles me because I'm always figure, trying to figure out, now, how did they do that? Or what makes it, you know, how, how did that come to be? And what, what was that? And so in painting, um, and I love, I love painting and I wish I would paint myself more often because I get an itch and a feel to do it. And for some reason, I don't know what that is in me that I don't pick up the paint brushes and do it. I just should. Yeah. Well, I think it's tougher sometimes for people to get started on the thing that they love to do the most. Just it's kind of... Yeah, because it's that you want it to be perfect and want it to turn out well. And it's like, yeah, and I don't have the time to do it that well right now. Torn between passion and perfection. Perfection. That and then also, I, it's like going into that rabbit hole. I just... I could spend a whole day in doing something and not get any of the other stuff done that I was supposed to get done. 
Right, right, and right, so, right. Because, because art, on, on one level, I suppose, feels frivolous and luxurious to people and not necessary. There correct. was somebody who said that if we got rid of literature, movies, songs, poetry, sports, uh, architecture, just if we got rid of everything that people thought was beautiful, uh, life could certainly go on. It could absolutely go on. How it just, dull. It just wouldn't be any fun. It would be brutal, and it would just be drab. It's funny that you say that, because I have been accused of, in exasperation, someone once told me, do you have to have fun at everything you do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought that was the silliest statement ever, because to me it's like, well, of course. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, what well, yeah, what, yeah. My sister is a very fun person. I mean, it could she, be house cleaning, but still put on right, some tunes and, right, you know, right, get a little right. rhythm to it. Have or a little bit of fun. Yeah, yeah. My sister's a very fun person. She's an occupational therapist, and she would work in a wide variety of settings like schools, old folks' homes, hospitals. And I, I just always kind of pictured her helping somebody get out of the chair who needs to get out of the chair and... You know, she might say, look, this is going to hurt for 15 seconds. But then after that, after she pulls them out, then there's like a little song and dance to the whole thing. And uh, we're just going to make this as entertaining and as pleasant as possible. So I, I guess uh, in the medical world, that's what they call having a good bedside manner. So, and it wouldn't hurt for I the rest so. of us to yeah. have that and yeah. everything else. Like, okay, we have to work. Let's get our work done. But let's also see if we can enjoy it. Yeah. Like I'm thinking, okay, even a mason you know, laying brick, you know, the scraping of the trowel of the concrete, the slapping on yeah. the mortar and then laying on the brick and there gets to be a rhythm and it's like you could almost start to create music with the action of being a mason and laying brick. I'm sure somebody has made a very entertaining musical video where that is going on. Yeah. So, well, actually, there's a story I remember reading about an art museum where the students were sent in to write essays about various pieces. And so everybody gravitated toward this piece that was in the middle of the museum. And what it was, was it was this remarkable structure that was half built out of bricks. And then there were some bricks off to the side. And then there were like some trowels and there were some buckets and some rags and other things. And everybody was fascinated by this artistic piece. And, and half the class wrote their essays about it, about what it meant and, and uh, just the, the value of hard work and all of these things and it turned out that that absolutely was not an artistic piece that was something that they were building into the museum but everybody <laughs> because it. it was in the museum they yeah. thought that was the art yeah they thought <laughs> that was the art so that's the art of work that's right does the, art imitate life does life imitate art? art yeah yeah <laughs> does art imitate art does life yeah. imitate life so well in any case um are there particular artists uh, by name or maybe eras that you're drawn to? I, I really am drawn to the Impressionists. Okay. But I also love the old Dutch masters, that realistic, the, the flowers and uh, the huge amount of detail and realism in that. I've always uh, 
enjoyed that. Does um, it have to be recognizable? Like I'm thinking impressionism and I'm thinking realistic arts. These these are things like, oh, I can it's tell that's totally a, different. That's uh, a flower, but yeah. I mean that's a barn. At least you can tell what it is. Yes. Versus, uh, I yes. Guess some Most definitely. To as abstract I'm art. not yeah, I am not a big fan of abstract art. I I I, I gosh, I don't want to say that I fail to see the uh, meaning of it where some people do see a lot of meaning uh-huh. in that kind of stuff but I guess I I do I you know to this day I still don't understand a lot of abstract art however like I've got a painting that I'm looking at right behind you and that it is you could call that abstract or do you know what that is well when I look at it I see a window with trees on the other side of the glass Okay, well, good guess. Um, that is actually um, it's it's uh, the artist's rendition of an arbor at the Ammon, not the Ammon Carter Museum, a museum in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. Is uh, so that that is inspired by that, and so knowing that and the I guess knowing the title, I can see it, and I love the colors and the design and so forth of it. So that's about as abstract as my art appreciation goes well, and I, and I was <laughs> but I do close. like I was pretty close yeah you were close I do like Alexander Calder's sculptures you know he's the guy that invented the mobile hmm. um, and that name was given to his kind of art from a friend of his because it was mobile art that he used um, to start out circus stuff and okay. it's fascinating to me that um, in reading about what inspired him to do that kind of thing like where where did that come from? How do you do, do you know Alexander Calder? No, and no, it's a, I okay, so mobiles that you might have one weight on one end and all these other different designs and the weights and they balance out and they'll turn oh, and that's cool. That yeah, it is cool. So um, I do like to research or like well. What made him think of that? Well, then what made him think of that? Well, then what made him, you know, where does, where do these ideas come right. from? The secret origin story. Yeah, the, yes. And um, come to find out, he was on the deck of a ship. He was sailing around from the east coast to the west coast and going through the Panama Canal, I guess. Well, he woke up on deck one um, morning and the moon had not set all the way yet. It happened to be a full moon, and it was at sunrise. So as he turned his head, he just saw the sun and the moon at the same time, and he was on a boat, and it just like clicked in his mind, this juxtaposition of two different things. And sun that's, and moon, yin and yang. And yes, and, and that, 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 like, he just, that need to create, which we talked a little bit about earlier, it was like that that need to create mm. that's what inspired him to create in the mobile you're just heartbroken by beauty and it just makes us want to replicate that beauty or show that beauty yeah. to other people yeah see okay i'm going to kind of dog on abstract art for just a little bit okay here. so and, and i maybe i should apologize in advance to all the people who really see something in it if it's your favorite thing then i guess maybe just fast forward a little and don't listen to this part one of my favorite writers is Tom Wolfe 
And I honestly think Tom Wolfe is the best American writer of the second half of the 20th century. He wrote Bond Bear of the Vanities. Mm-hmm. One of his books, 1975, was The Painted Word. And he would get into the history of art. And what he came to the conclusion of was, okay, abstract art, which the public hated and did not understand. For example, you might have lines, splotches, and dots. And then the public would look at it and say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I want some representational art. So, and they didn't care if it was Picasso, they didn't care if it was Michelangelo or if it was dogs playing poker. They just wanted some, they wanted a picture that, oh, hey, that's somebody's grandma. They wanted to be able to get it. And so originally the abstract art was supposed to be instantly understandable to the masses. They said, well, the old fashioned art, that's elitist. The reason it's elitist is you see these pictures of Madonna and child, or you see kings and queens, where there's like all these subtle things going on, like there's court gestures and clowns, and what are they doing in these pictures, and, and what's the expression of that person's face mean? There was just all this criticism of representational art as being elitist. And so the abstract art was supposed to be accessible to everybody. You could know zero about history or religion, and you could instantly get it. Except it backfired. The public saw it, and they said, I don't get it. And the abstract artist said, well, you're supposed to be able to get it because there's nothing to it. There's no content. It's content-free. It's devoid of meaning. It's supposed to be instantly understandable. And people said, yeah, but I don't get it. At least the other picture with the clowns and the gestures and the kings and the queens and the horses and that guy in the corner who's doing something weird, well, okay, I don't get all of it, but I can understand a bunch of it. And so people wanted the representative art. And so then Tom Wolfe said... Uh, the reason it became the painted word was they would show these lines, splotches, and dots in a museum. This one would go for four million bucks uh, because maybe just two billionaires were willing to pay for it. The real art became the description next to the artwork that would explain what it meant. But I mean, originally it was meant to be content free, so it wasn't supposed to have any meaning at all. But it gave a job to PhDs who would then explain what it meant. So, from that standpoint, I, I, once I read that, I realized, well, this is why I like representational art. And if it's realistic or if it's impressionism, as long as I can kind of sort of tell what it is, mm-hmm. I kind of like it. Yeah. And I thought, well, I guess that just makes me completely average. Because that's, that's <laughs> what the public, that's, I'm just a normal member of the public, I'm reacting the same. Because my first thought when I saw the abstract art was, I don't understand this. And then I felt stupid. Um, mm. At least the other paintings, if, if I didn't know who this person was or that person was, and people say, well, it's actually about Dante's Inferno, then that's kind of cool because then you'd realize, oh, okay. You can see something yeah, in it Yeah, you can then. see something in it, and then people would say, you know, this is actually the mayor of this town in the year 1600, and the painter didn't like him, and that's why he looks like he's drunk, etc. Then it started becoming funny. Mm-hmm. It's charming. So that's, that's yeah. What what are your thoughts? But if you don't if you don't know if you don't have that description and you're left to your own devices <laughs> to figure it out, sometimes it can be really really difficult to, yeah. to get that deeper appreciation. I will say though that if there's you know harmony within the piece and that the colors are pleasing, then I'm you know I do like that. Um, I can imagine doing the work and that that can bring some appreciation to it too. Um, 
But like I'm, I'm thinking of Mandarin's uh, the Broadway Boogie Woogie. Okay. Which do you know what that no, I is? Don't. Okay. No. So it is. Yeah, this painting here. It's it's primary colors, and it is representational of like Times Square and the stoplights and the roads and the you know the beat of the town. I was going to say it looks like a board game. Yeah, it does, yeah, it's uh, and, and so the title helps me appreciate that, and I get that. Yeah. But you know when I once learned that. All the different periods of art, um, you know, from mannerism, Baroque, Rococo, uh, Neoclassic, whatever it is, that just as every teenager feels like they want to figure out their own life, and we were talking about rebellion a little earlier, you know, they just want to do things on their own, every generation of, of artists, they want to be known for their own and so there's it's a progression of I want to do something different I don't want to do what my dad did right <laughs> you know it's right. not my father's Buick anymore move yeah the ball further, further down, the, down road. the road and so you know in the when what mid-century that pushing the envelope you know doing different things that um uh you know the way our culture is, and art does reflect what's going on in culture. And I think so. Co- yeah, I think so. And so the um, I have a whole philosophy stuff about that. That you know, abstract is like the the absence of meaning, meaning, and and beauty and purpose and all of that. I, I don't believe that art is for art's sake. I think that's a bunk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's fair that it reflects culture because... Uh, yeah, it is. But And you look at art, you know, contemporary art now, and it's, you know, all the skulls and death stuff mm. and the, you know, all of the depravity of things. I think that is reflective of where society is. And it's been that way for a long time, a long time now. Um, yeah. yeah. If you go to the World War One Museum, they talked just a little bit about the art that was popular right before the war broke out. And they had said artist after artist were doing apocalyptic art. Right before that? Before the war. Because everything was extremely tense in Europe uh, for 10 years before the war. And so then okay, there's this the 14, so like in the 90s, uh, 1890s? Like, yeah, you could say 1890s, but uh, we're, we're talking primarily about tensions in Europe. So mm-hmm. yeah, like 1904. Well, I'm thinking of the like, Art Nouveau movement, which is very flowing and naturalistic. And when was that? That time period. Okay, so there's in the two 1890s. So it's like kind of, yeah. Two threats. Two threats going on. Yes. They were saying any number of artists were creating these apocalyptic mm. landscapes. Um, and then, of course, there was just one assassination, and then pretty soon, 20 countries are at each other's throats within two weeks. So maybe the artists kind of saw things coming. Yeah. Some of the artists. Yeah. Maybe not the other artists. We're, what were Depend- I think it kind of depends on the origin of that, that art, where that was, where yeah. the tensions were the most. It could be. Yeah. It could be. I, I guess my own ignorance coming out. In that respect, I, I guess I know more about literature and not as much about art, which is my loss. I probably I that's why I'm talking to you. So I can well, learn and art. I am no expert in the history of art. <laughs> <laughs> I know a little. 
Okay, so then what made you want to teach art instead of just create art? I mean, there are some artists out there, they just want to create, and then other people can teach, and some people can do both, and it seems like you can do both. So what made you want to teach? Well, I, I have always enjoyed working with anybody of any age that was interested in doing something, and if I could pass that along, that would be great. I never really thought about being a teacher. Like I said, it was my sister that saw that little ad and said, you ought to do it. And I did put together my resume and stuff real quick, but that was really out of necessity. I didn't really ever picture myself as a teacher or an art teacher. Mm. So this was not a dream that I had. It was like the dream had me. Oh, that's... <laughs> That's very artistic of you to say something like that, that the dream captured you rather than you capturing the dream. the dream, yeah. Well, and because how, how ends up, teaching I, I love it. Um, since 2005, so 15 and, years. And you're entranced by it. You're mesmerized yeah, by it. Yeah, I have found that I, I feel very purposeful in the place that I happen to be teaching. Um that the whole culture of, of this place is, is beautiful and um, inspiring to me and that the, it, it, gosh, my sister has such an interwoven part of my life in this because she gave me a book when I was in college about drawing and when I was at the elementary school and trying to figure out, okay, some new things for middle school art, which I did not have experience with at my kids' school. So I went to that book and started doing some projects with that book. It's the Betty Edwards Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. Okay. And when I interviewed at a high school, um, the art teacher that was there, um, that you know, the new person was going to work with, she was in on the interview, and she wanted to know if I had ever heard of this uh, drawing on the right side of the brain uh, type of drawing, learning how to draw. And I brought that book with me to the interview oh and had gosh. a sample of the work that I had done with my um, middle schoolers, and that is what got me the job I at did. where I'm at. She brings because, up this book and then you whip it out. And I whip it out. I had a portfolio. I, you know, in the art world, you bring. Well, I, <laughs> I do. That's the real deal stuff. It's not all on computer. You know, I didn't uh -huh. have it in, uh -huh. in uh, that format. So, um, and I had the kids had drawn. We did an upside down drawing of George Washington on the dollar bill, uh -huh. and. <laughs> And it was during President's Day, and so we had a little bit of history. I like put doing history with the artwork and the in the elementary school stuff and middle school things, and and they turned out really really well. And kids are just so surprised when they learn how to to draw what they see. Because and the whole thing about Betty Edwards is you don't really know how to ever you don't really learn how to draw. You learn how to see so that you can learn how to draw. And that it's learning how to see is the real skill. And everybody can learn how to see better than what they do see normally. That is just a blazingly good insight. Um, 
I, I'm just going to tell a little story, and then I want to ask like how that plays out. And here's what it is. So I was studying to be a college English instructor when I was 22, and they trained us. And uh, they had us read an article called Look at Your Fish. And we were supposed to give this to our students in about three weeks when we had students. And what it was, was it was the story of this biology professor who would have these students look at this fish and then come in and supposed to do something with it, some kind of a lab. Well, these kids would come in and they'd be like, yeah, that's a dead fish in a bucket, you know. <laughs> and uh, it just really didn't deserve like a whole lot of thought or commentary or anything like that. And so then I think they maybe wrote up a paragraph and turned it in. Well, the next day they came back and uh, they were supposed to look at the exact same fish. And then the kids are just kind of mad. Well, we did this yesterday. Uh, let's move on. Let's do something new. And the instructor's like, you know, have you really looked at this fish? Um, so then they wind up writing multiple paragraphs about this fish. And then they come in on the third day. Certainly we're going to be doing something new. And the instructions are, look at your fish. And uh, long story short, they wind up looking at this fish for like three or four weeks. And the author of the essay pointed out on day five, he said, I really began to see the fish for the very first time. Yeah. And he had been spending hours and hours and hours staring at this thing on Monday to Thursday. And then he comes in on Friday and uh, realizes I've never seen this fish before. The same fish that he'd been looking at. Yeah, for like how the, the pattern of the scales and the pattern of the little fins and where they're at and the the eye of the fish, all the little little teeny details. That's yes. right. Skeletal structure, um, yeah. symmetry. Just I don't even know mm -hmm. all the things. I guess I didn't look at my article twenty eight times the way that they looked at the fish. Um, I, and I'm thinking, five the fifth day, it had to have been quite fragrant. <laughs> So how do you teach people to see so that they can Well, draw? that is it. It's like uh, the example that I tell kids at the beginning of, of the class is that um, it's like the, the science books that have the different layers of the human body. You start out at the skeleton on an opaque paper, and then on the clear acetate sheets, you'll have like the muscular system, the circulatory system, another page for the nervous system, and then the organs. So we break out vision in um, we instead of drawing lines you have edges mm. and when you draw an edge you are then creating space on either side of that edge so we look at edges we break it up into spaces that will then take on shapes and they have relationships to each other so we we are you're looking so much more at every single line you're drawing because it is adjusting space and how it relates to an adjacent space. Are there people who don't have the self-discipline to do all of these things? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and those are, the, those are the people who are just wanting to just get through the class to get that credit that they need to graduate. But you know what happens, and this is why I love teaching this intro to drawing class, is because those kids, they come to see like, oh my gosh, this didn't turn out all that bad. I, I think I can do this. 
And they start to realize that they can learn this new thing and be enhanced by it mm. and that it's pleasurable to do and it's, it's rewarding to do. And so even the most, you know, if you think of, you know, some big old athlete that, you know... Doesn't care. I don't care about art, you know? Um, they create incredible work and they end up so pleased at the end of the semester with their work and it's unbelievably beautiful and and I get instant gratification other teachers no other teachers in the building get this except these visual arts teachers that you know it's not this cerebral in the head that gets expressed in some other way we get it like now it's tangible <laughs> and it's, it's yes right and it's oh my god I feel guilty did that as a teacher that I you know I don't have to wait to look at these results I am just so thrilled and pleased and that's part of the allure of teaching too is this way that we teach this how to see more yeah the addiction of the aha moments yes see other yes. people go ah yes they, get it. they literally physically do that verbally oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. I love how they just sort of uh, stumble into getting a lot of, out of arts, maybe the way that you sort of accidentally got a lot out of teaching. It wasn't yes, a it, Yeah, kind of like, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And the, the most difficult um, kind of student are the ones that they either, they can draw, they already have a lot of good visual perceptions, um, and maybe they have their own style. They've done their own thing. And so our, this drawing on the right side of the brain is realistic drawing. And for them to break the way that they have oh, been yeah. doing it to get into realistic drawing can be a super big challenge to kids. Yeah, they have to yeah. learn how to do something It's like, you know, learning how to walk a little differently. Right. And so, like, when we do negative space, like, we end up drawing and focusing and seeing the space around the objects and working on those things. Mm. And then the object appears. I tell kids, I give the analogy of two of them. One is like when you're at a roller skating rink and you're going around in the circle and it, you know you get your flow and then they reverse it and it feels weird on your legs you know, to, right. to go the other way. Right. It's like that for your eyeballs. It's different. Or just walking. You walk normal all the time. But if I said, you have to walk backwards for the rest of the day, mm. you take a lot more time trying to figure out exactly every footstep and you're really focusing in on every step that you make. And so it's it's learning. When you asked, how do you teach people how to see more? That's kind of it. You have to take them back to, I guess, infancy. When people first learn to see for the very first time and you have to reteach something that everybody thinks they already know how to yeah, do. Well, see, seeing negative space and drawing it and... and and being confident that the object will appear, huh. just give it time. Be patient. I never even knew what negative space was until five minutes ago. So thank you. Is oh okay. I really it's appreciate like the, the, that. The, that's that's just powerful. You know, I used to run marathons, and at a certain point, I was trying to change my stride, and it was just extremely difficult <laughs> to just yeah, to, to just walk and or run in a completely different way. Uh, I heard Tiger Woods did something like that with golf, that at a certain point he was going to take, I don't know what it was, six months off or a year off, just so that he could break his golf uh, swing down to zero 
and then just rebuild it from there. And wow. I, I don't know if he did that, if that's a true story, but it just seems like that's the kind of thing that you're doing. Okay, well, let me ask this. Uh, I, I sometimes think about permanent impact that teachers can make, but that, uh, you know, many times I'm sure I have not made. So, like, let's say you have a 16-year-old, and this kid is taking your class, and then we want to fast-forward this kid's life to age 30. What has this kid ideally taken away from your class? They're now 30, they're out there in the world, uh, but, but your class made a positive impact 14 years ago. What is this person taking with? I would hope, it was my wish, that one, this learning how to see more in art, that they learn how to see more in everything. And, you know, depending upon different perspectives and that they become uh, more aware of their surroundings and their aesthetic life and that they, they start to, to appreciate the aesthetic mm. life. So there's, there's that aspect, which can go into everything. Um, and then the other thing that I would hope that kids get to do is that, that they become curious enough or they desire to uh, not be afraid to try a, a new skill. That it is possible to learn. Okay. And, and so that, they, uh, and that the the attitude of I'll give it a go because okay. you never know, <laughs> right? I'll give it a go. So that I think can can be helpful throughout your whole life. Look at me, I you know I was giving it a go at you know putting my resume in to teach for you know after being successful in other other places, yeah, yeah. and not having that as part of my thought process of what I'm going to do in my life, but oh, they they had a need, I had a need. I had some skill and talent, but I, you know, I wasn't quite sure. You know, it was it was scary, you know, going into there and um uh I gave it a go, though. And so you never know. And it's enriched at this point. Oh my gosh! Of yes. Lives. Oh, well, I, I don't think I. In fifteen years, I don't know if I've had maybe thousands of students, hundreds, hundred students a year, maybe. Well, uh, uh, hundred and twenty a semester. Okay, hundred and twenty a semester. Two hundred and forty year times fifteen is three thousand six hundred students there potentially. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Wow. It's a lot. Yep. It's that huge impact that you've made. What is something about taking an art class that people don't know? Uh, maybe it is that it's the breaking away of I can't do that to maybe I can. <laughs> and, you know, I will give it a go. Getting a positive attitude to something, trying something new. Okay. Okay. Just that hey, uh, maybe failure, a little bit of failure is good. It's really the effort. Oh, it's what, that, it's, our failures is where we learn the most. Okay. Um, who do you think would benefit the most from taking an art class? I think everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I really do. I think everybody. And if you had the slightest inclination of a desire of, 
like how did they do that like you know get get a how do they paint air how Atmos- do they paint air? air yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. <laughs> atmosphere, you know, is uh, with colors and blending and um, depending on what the medium is, it, you know, the, the softness or hardness of the pressure of the brush on the canvas or paper and, you know, you know there's so many little intricacies that, that occur um, and that it is possible. Let me ask the reverse then. Is there a person who should not take an art class this year? Maybe they should take it next year. Maybe they should take it 10 years from now. Sometimes I think that because we start out with this uh, intro to drawing and learning how to see more, because every class after that is is just so much better because kids learn how to see more. So, and break out things, uh, elements in within the visual art piece. So um, sometimes it's a maturity level of being able to be quiet with yourself and be patient with yourself and waiting for things to evolve in your piece. And and uh, so sometimes it's better that way. To, to um, wait. Is it to wait on maturity? But you know you can't always do that. You know you're in this process of school, school. right? So right, if um, I am mature till I'm right. forty-two. Or there are there are those kids that they do so much better in a smaller class size than in a larger class size. So it's like they come in and the you know every chair is taken. They might I they might want to drop at the class and say I'll take it another semester where it's a smaller class and um, they really do much better at that but I don't know I I hate to even think about excluding anybody oh sure sure no I, I guess I was thinking more along the lines of well maybe this just isn't the right time in somebody's life to take it now mm-hmm. I, I think I buy into your belief that everybody would benefit yeah, uh, I just don't know if everybody would immediately benefit, and I think that you sort of discussed. I think there, there's, they can tell improvement. You know, if they've done the work. Now, if they just slough along, then you know you can definitely tell. They can tell. I can tell. It's there in black and white, right in front of you. Yeah, I didn't put myself into this very much, did I? <laughs> so. Um, <clears throat> you know, maybe they should have waited and, until then or until later to take the class. But um, I really do believe everybody could benefit. Everybody can benefit. Suppose I just absolutely can't draw. I sign up for your class, but I, I have to be honest with myself. I mean, if I drew a house, I'd be lucky if I could draw a square. Um, if I drew a person, I'd be lucky if I could draw a stick person. Uh, what if I walk into your class with as little ability as a human being can possibly have. Both the other teacher and myself, we are so totally convinced with this learning how to draw on the right side of the brain and learning how to see more. We believe we can help you make improvements on your drawing. Everybody can improve. What's the most you've seen somebody improve in a semester? An, I, I, I wish I could... I have some books I can show you, some befores and afters. Um, these drawings are just incredible. Um, <laughs> besides the, the edges, spaces, and relationships, 
we get into shading, lights and shadows, and then gestalt where the whole thing comes together. Mm. It's a holistic skill, and they can do it. That you know, it it truly is miraculous. Uh, it's quite wonderful the way God has made our uh, our brain and our eyes be able to uh, come together and to to see more. Okay, now let's let me take the opposite person. Suppose you have somebody who's sixteen and they already can do close to photographic realism. Um, should this person be taking an art class? Of course, of because course. They can, and move. it is, they, uh, well, because they can. Uh, gosh, there's this one student, and she is remarkable. She, she truly is remarkable. Uh, in yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. I just edit this out oh. if you need to take her or something. Oh, I don't. Okay, all right. Yeah, that. Um, it, it, she it, she has her own style, and it was very hard for her to do realistic work. But once she did it, she was kind of amazed at herself. Now, should she take more art? Of course, because for 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 people like that that already can, then who knows? That might be the way that they make their living, and you just hone in. It's like if you are a good writer. Mm-hmm. Should you write any more? Yeah, yeah. I okay, so it's the same thing. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. So there's really no way even an intro class would be too basic because you would just work with the kid yes. where they are and then take them forward from there. Correct. That's yeah. pretty advantageous. I mean, you can just you could have a wide variety of uh, ability levels. Exactly. Everything from the photographic realism that one kid can do to the stick figures that the other kid can't Indeed. manage. You can help them all improve. And so that's right. And so as far as grading, which I hate assessing, you know, it's just horrible, horrible. I just blah. I don't like it. Um, and eventually, by the end of the semester, and they're doing their portrait drawings, they're motivated on their own, which is, that is the coolest thing, is that kids are not drawing for a grade, they're doing it for the desire to have their piece turn out really well. They're excited by that. And so, grade-wise is not, you know, just categorized for the whole class and comparing other people to other people's work to other people's work. It is from an individual's beginning drawing Mm -hmm. to where they're at, at the end of the semester. And so it's all individual based and you can see the progression as they go. So, and that's encouraging to kids, you know, they're not going to be compared to Leonardo da Vinci, you know, but their progress from where they started to where they end is very evident and, and they can see, and they can see where they haven't put in the effort and where they have put in the effort. That's the great thing about a visual record. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just, well, it's just like weightlifting. Uh, people keep track. They write down mm-hmm. every day, well, I lifted, you know, 50-pound dumbbells in this one particular category. And so then, you know, you could see, oh, well, hmm, why am I only lifting 45 pounds today? Uh, maybe I didn't get enough sleep. Maybe I didn't drink enough water. So, I mean, you mm-hmm. can start to see where other aspects the effort was missing mm-hmm. perhaps and so the students can see that and then they can remember and I guess that should have a spillover effect into the rest of their character then mm-hmm. which is really cool yes yes let's talk about parents um 
suppose parents are thinking, you know, my kid really needs an art class. And the kid is thinking, I do not want to take an art class this year. Uh, who's right in that situation, the parents or the kid? Well, what made you say this year? Well, because we said earlier that everybody can benefit from art. Mm-hmm. But maybe the kid is thinking, no, I don't like art. Art is stupid because their maturity isn't there. You know, or maybe they want to take... Well, some seniors are still like that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. They should but, take it yeah. when they're 20 or 30 or something. But they need their art credit. They need their art Right, right. Um, well, so what's the question? Who's, who's right, the parents or the kids? The parents are thinking, you could really benefit from taking some art because all of your taste is in your mouth. I actually, I, I don't think taste has anything to really do with it. I think that that whole concept of give it a go, that yes, they need to do it. And they might be surprised. And I, <clears throat> we pretty much guarantee a surprise for kids. Not okay. guarantee, so to speak. But, but I mean, they really are surprised. It's very, they end up being, it ends up being a rewarding experience for them. And, um, and also, you know, in high school, there's, it's a wonderful place to enhance friendships or develop friendships mm. or, um, interact with people on a you know different level and uh it's encouraging we learn from each other um and so you know even the shyest kids they sometimes oh my gosh that it is very exciting to see some breakout work and so <clears throat> i will ask a kid always do you mind if i show this to the class because you're really excelling in this area and everybody can learn from it. And so I'll do that. Or conversely, oh gosh, everybody is struggling with this particular kind of thing. Do you mind if I use yours as an example in the class? And to have most kids say, okay, go ahead. You know, even the most shy kids, only very, very rare. Zoom did not help. That doesn't work with Zoom. It has to be in real life classroom work because those Zoom classrooms, it's like that. the whole screen is that drawing, and I think that kids are like, no, I don't want my whole, you know, my drawing on there for everybody to see in such close detail. But um, in the classroom, it, it works out okay <laughs> for some reason. But Well, I've been in these art classrooms, and any time I've ever been in an art classroom, it just really seems like everybody is working, uh, and yet... The, uh, the mood in the room is, is kind of like quiet energy, and uh, people do socialize, but they also get straight back to work. Uh, it just seems to be one of the most industrious and yet pleasant uh, and friendly atmospheres in the entire school. Yeah, it, it really is. And ideally, you know, to do all that looking, it's just like when you are handwriting something, to have, hold a conversation while you're writing, you know how that's kind of difficult to do? Yeah. So it's the same thing when you're really looking at your artwork, it's very difficult to talk and draw using all those visual skills at the same time. Right. So it's a, it comes naturally to have it be, be quiet, but you can hear and listen but you cannot, it's hard to cross talk back. So um, it's kind of fun. I like to play music uh, in the classroom while kids are working. It's just a very focused, 
beautiful, constructive atmosphere, and I just want to compliment you on creating that. So Well, thank you, but I don't feel like that's me. It's the nature of the work. At least you were smart enough to teach a class like that. that. <laughs> Versus something where, I don't know, people are contentious and all of that. Um, okay, let's talk just a little bit about art history. Suppose somebody wanted to learn more about art. They've been listening to their friends talk about art, and they think, gosh, that does sound good. I really don't know the first thing about it. Uh, like maybe they can name two artists, Michelangelo and another person, and they just don't know anything. Where would be a good place to start to learn about art? It's, um, well, go to a museum and <laughs> look at art and experience the real deal. I mean, you can get really up close, which I would suggest hold your hands behind your back and you can almost get nose to canvas close mm. to see the strokes in the artwork and then also stand way back so that everything kind of comes in together because you see things totally differently when you're looking super up close but it, it's helpful so um, but okay if you don't you know gosh art books in your own home just or online just uh, say you know what was art like in the Civil War times, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, be curious and just, and look, I don't, my first experience, and I have a book, the art book that my mom bought at a school book sale, I think I was in the second grade, and in my mind's eye, I can still see the pictures in that art book, because I used to just sit and just look at all of the things going on in these paintings and um, actually I have a tree swing in my yard that is inspired by a painting in an art book that I thought one day I want to swing like that so that you can almost feel like you're flying and it is it I have it out there now I'll have to get you on it <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so art is good for everybody to take and it's good for everybody to dive into an experience. And it seems like it will increase your self-discipline and yes. it will increase your ability to see. And those are transferable skills. Uh, have we left anything out about the beauty, the, the awesomeness of art? I, I, I don't know. That's like, hmm, write an essay <laughs> on what we have not covered. And it's like, oh gosh, um... Hmm. I maybe it's don't be afraid be conscious conscious of being more observant in your life like stop to look at that sunset or stop to really look at those clouds you know clouds little kids will tend to draw clouds like those big cotton ball thing you know poofs yeah. When you really look at clouds and as they go further on the horizon, they're not poofy like that. Right. They're flat. Right. Have you have you ever noticed that before? Yeah. 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 Do you know why they're flat? Um, I don't know. Is it the curvature of the earth that's making them appear flat? It's the heat of the the atmosphere flattens out the clouds at that point and when they get more puffy looking as you look up straight up they look puffy because you can't see the distance at the angle the perspective that they are so they look puffy when you look straight up but 
way in the distance, they get closer to the horizon, they flatten out, and it's, it's heat. Do you think yeah. people have had a harder time learning to see since the advent of everybody staring at an iPhone? Yes, um, and not necessarily because of the phones or technology. It's the instantaneous, quick, um, not patient to really look at things, like the fish example. Mm. You know, we want things going so fast, right. and we don't spend time really looking. Right. But, and, but to be fair, I read the Look at Your Fish article in 1990 mm -hmm. before I knew what the internet was. Correct. And, I and so, but it's even faster and faster and faster. We don't, we don't stop. It is the, you know, stop and smell the flowers kind of thing. Yeah. Well, stop and look at the design of it. Look at the way that the petals have little veins in them sometimes, or the way the color changes from where it's attached to the outside edge. You know, and looking at the velvety texture of a rose petal <clears throat> or <clears throat> the bumpiness of a lily petal. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. That's okay. That just sounds luxurious to spend time doing that. And so that's, that's a And so thought. I guess, <clears throat> you know, artists get, get that bad um, uh, reputation of, you know, being spacey or whatever. And it's not that they're spacey, it's that they're paying more attention to seeing more. <laughs> Just more thoughtful. Thought, but more, yes, yes. And, and becoming, you know, more appreciative then of what it is that you're looking at it's and the beautiful. space that you are in. It's beautiful. Well, I just have one last question, Sherry, and mm -hmm. it's this. Um, let's just fast forward to close to the end of your life, maybe. You are 100 mm -hmm. years old. And you are sitting on the front porch of your home, and your loving family members are nearby. Your children and grandchildren and maybe great-grandchildren are all gathered around. And then you are looking back on a great life. Uh, what are you just most thrilled by, most excited by, and how did art play a part? I am most thrilled by the, the beauty of God's creation. Of in everything and I'm appreciative of the curiosity of wanting to know and to see, really really see things and it, it does humble me because of the vastness and infinitiness of beauty and I hope that um, if I ever have grandkids, when that is, that I get to pass on that love of, of life and the beauty that it has for us. And even in the difficult, challenging times or sick times or, um, you know, even... Even as I get older and, you know, oh, I need a hip replacement. Well, my gosh, is it not amazing that that is even a possibility? <laughs> and isn't there beauty in that? And even the, the sculptural sense of the new hardware that's going in. Mm. Um, you know, that there, there is beauty in that. And I, it, um, 
I don't, I, <clears throat> life is a humbling thing in general. It's a, it's a humbling experience to, uh, to have a profound appreciation for all the beauty around me. Sherry, that was absolutely beautiful, and thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Seemingly Ordinary. The two biggest favors you could do for me would be for you to share this podcast far and wide, and also to check out my novels on Amazon, especially Tom Buchanan, Misunderstood. It's a tale about the Roaring Twenties.